0: Two things that God cannot, cannot do. His promises may not be fulfilled the way we want them. They may not be fulfilled when we want them fulfilled. But He will always keep His promise. He will always fulfill His promise. So if you already haven't opened your Bibles, and it's First Kings chapter 18. But particularly I'm going to focus on verses 41 to 46. Those are very few verses, but they are loaded, loaded with teaching for each of us to know not only how to pray, but what to pray for. Because here you're going to find Elijah basically in a desperate situation again, clinging to the promises of God. Now, he's been growing. He's been walking with the Lord in intimacy. He's been developing. And somebody was asking me last night about how to walk by faith. And I explained, I said, faith is like a muscle. You exercise it, and it grows with exercise. If you go and you never lifted weight, and then you begin with picking up 100 pounds, and you start, well, you're going to do major damage to your body. So don't go out and begin to exercise faith by um, doing something that is uh, huge to the point of you get discouraged. But begin taking small steps. And as you grow in your faith, take another bigger step, then a bigger step, then a bigger step. Just remember this image. Faith is like a muscle. It will grow with exercise. The more you exercise faith, the more your faith is going to grow. And that's what we're seeing here in the life of Elijah. We watched a man's faith growing as he walked with the Lord. And so... Before I get to the text, I want to tell you a couple of things about the promises of God that are of uttermost importance. Do not miss these ones. And if you are taking notice, I will speak slowly so you can write them down. Some of the promises of God in the Bible are conditional. Some promises are general in nature. Some promises that God will only answer when you and I meet the conditions For that promise. I'm going to give you some examples in a minute. Some conditional. Some unconditional. Some of God's promises are personal. That means. They are limited to one person. At that time. In which God made the promise. For that person. When God made the promise for Elijah. To call a fire from heaven. (laughs) That is a personal promise. It's not for every one of us. To go and claim. God I'm going to. Go down my city, capital city, and I'm going to call, from, you know, bring a bull, and then call upon fire from heaven and see if it burns it. No, 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 no. That was a promise, and that was specifically for Elijah. By Elijah standing on Mount Carmel and calling fire from heaven, he was only doing what God has already promised to him individually. This is not a general promise. In fact, if you look at verse 41... Elijah tells King Ahab to go home very quickly because the rain is in the forecast. Now, there's been drought. The sun has been shining for three and a half years. There's no rain. And you look up, there's not a cloud. But he said, go home. Otherwise, you're going to get caught in the rainstorm. Literally, Elijah said, I hear the feet of rain approaching. That's the literal translation from the Hebrew text. So Ahab goes home, and what does he do? He just goes and eat and drink in a kind of animistic way. And while, what does Elijah do? He goes home and gets on his knees and starts praying. What is he doing? He is kneeling on the promises of God that God made to him. Prayer plus promise equal God's intervention. Prayer plus promise equal God's intervention. I'm going to put it another way. Keeping the condition of the promise of God plus claiming that promise equals God's provision. Let me repeat that. Meeting the condition of the promise of God plus persistence in prayer in claiming that promise equals God's intervention. The promises of God are certain, but they don't always mature in 90 minutes, or 90 days. It has been said that God makes a promise, then faith believes it, hope anticipates it, patience quietly awaits it. Now I want to confess to you, God makes promises, well I'm okay with that. Keeping the condition of the promise, that's I'm okay with that too. Faith believes it, I'm okay with that. Hope anticipates it. Well, it's a little bit of a stretch for me, but still I'm okay with that. But patience, that's not my strong suit. I'm going to confess that to you. I have a problem with patience. And I told the Lord the other day, I said, you've been trying to teach me patience, but I wish you'd hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of promise does God make to Elijah regarding the rain? Well, do you remember the very first text that I shared with you? What book was it from? James. James. And it was conditional promise. When Elijah was at Zarephath with the widow, God said to him, Go and show yourself to Ahab. In fact, that is verse 1 of chapter 18. He said, Go and show yourself to Ahab. Now God has been hiding him. (laughs) Now he said, It's time for you to go and show up and look at Ahab in the eye. And God said, if you do that, I'll bring rain. This is the conditional promise. Elijah keep his promise? Well, let's look at it. Remember, it had not rained for three and a half years. Three and a half years. It's an incredible drought time. But then Elijah's obedience was going to be conditioned to the fulfillment of the promise. And as you read chapter 18, you're going to notice, I mean, the king, King Ahab, has been looking for this guy, Elijah. For all this time. And of course as the drought worsened. He got mad and angry. And he couldn't wait to kill the guy. But God says to him. Verse 1 of chapter 18. He says go and show yourself to Ahab. That is the condition. That you have to meet. In order for me God had sent the rain. And there are so many promises in the scripture. That are conditional promises. But I have discovered and I've seen all across the globe so many Christians who try to claim the promises of God without any intention on their part to meet the condition of the promise. The Bible said, sow and you will reap. And what you sow, you will reap. Well, people want to reap without sowing. <laughs> uh, the Bible said, give and it shall be given to you. Well, they want to be given without Giving. Now, there is a period of waiting time between the sowing and the reaping. Ask any farmer, I will tell you. And that sometimes you might even get a crop failure every now and then. But it does not change the principle and the, the condition of the Word of God. That when you sow, you will reap. When I was thinking about this and and how most of us as Christians love to pick and choose like a smorgasbord in a Bible, instead of understanding it and comprehend it. I thought about this story I heard many years ago about three little girls, the old sisters, and they came back from a wedding. And it was sort of the first wedding they've ever attended, and they were very impressed with the ceremony. So they, when they came home, they decided to dress up and play wedding. And they assigned all the tasks, and one was the bride, and the other one was the groom, and the other one was going to be the minister. And the minister asked, you know... And said, Do you take this man for richer or for poorer? (laughs) And the little bride replied, For richer. Uh, (laughs) But that's what we all want, isn't it? We want God to fulfill His promises to us without us meeting the conditions. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 is a text that I used to teach when I drove carpool and our kids were little many years ago. And I'll take them to school in the car. I used to get them to memorize one verse at a time, one verse a week. Actually, they knew. I got them as captive audience. But not only that, they also need, needed to remember that their allowance, you know, will not be given until they memorize those texts. And <laughs> still talk about that now. And uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. That was one of the One of the very first verses that I taught them uh, to memorize, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But you see, that is a conditional promise. If you commit your ways to the Lord, then He will bring it to pass. And so many promises that would take me a long time to go through the conditional promises and show you in the Scripture that it is of vital importance to remember when you're praying for something that is claiming the promise of God, be sure that you are keeping the condition of the promise. But if I'm going to pilot my own ship, and I'm going to run my life, and then call upon God only when I'm in trouble, and ask for God to bless me, I have not met the conditions. If you commit your ways, He will direct your path. I'll give you another example. 1 John 1.9 and unfortunately, I counseled enough people to see how light they take these conditional promises. I remember one time, a number of years ago, I was counseling a man who was in absolute disarray in his life and carnality and sin. And he said, it doesn't matter. You know, Every time I sin, I just dial 119. I said, what is that? He said, John 1 John 1.9. Now, First John one nine. I said, all right. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So he was basically using the grace of God as a license to sin. And he said, well, I just sin and go like, oh God. Well, you promised if I confess my sins, so here I am. I confess it. No, that's not what the text means. Lip confession without determination to change is cheap repentance, and that dishonors God. What God talking about? Genuine, true confession that is going to lead to an inward change in one's life. Confession must, must include the decision to forsake. It's like Spurgeon used to say, grace that does not change your life and your heart and your conduct is not the grace of God. Some of God's promises are not only conditional, but some of them also personal. There are personal promises that are universal promises. This promise to Elijah was a personal promise made specific to one person for a definite period of time. And we get into trouble when we try to take a personal promise and apply it to all of us. I think many of us are familiar with some folks who have done that and looked at Mark 16, you know, Jesus specifically giving a personal promise to the disciples that they will tread on vipers and drink poison and it was a personal promise. And so we have these dear folks who snake handlers who said, well, that's God' promise now. So they play with snakes and, and hope they don't get bitten. But As you know, many of them actually die. That's foolishness because they're taking a personal promise and applying it to themselves. And we often think we have to spend hours in prayer convincing God to bless us. Oh, we'll bless what we're trying to accomplish. Without taking time to say, Lord, what is your will in my life? Give me your will in my life so that when I pray, I am seeking your working in my life. Whenever you align your will with the will of God, whenever you align your obedience with the promises of God, God will answer. He will answer because he obligated himself. Whenever you fulfill the condition of the promise... You can safely claim the promise, and the promise will be fulfilled. If you are spending many nights on the side of the bed instead of sleeping in it, and asking God to give you something, save yourself the time and energy, and begin by asking God, what is it that you want me to have? And then pray for the very thing that God will communicate to your heart. So after the encounter with the prophets of Baal, look at the difference. Ahab sees the same miracle, fire coming from heaven, takes the sacrifice, burns the wet wood. He saw the same miracle that Elijah saw, but Ahab went into his house to eat and drink. So the Bible said, while Elijah went to kneel on the promises of God, to cling to the promises of God of God. Both men saw the same supernatural work of God. Both saw the power of God manifested. Both have experienced the greatest supernatural intervention of God since the book of Exodus. But one went in a brutish, animalistic way to eat and drink, and the other, in humility, went before God, clinging to the promises of God. You know, people say that if you see more miracles that we'll believe. People see miracles and they still don't believe. Jesus told us. This is obviously something had happened in history. We don't know about, but he did, about the rich man and Lazarus. And he was telling us about what's happening beyond the curtain of this life and this conversation that has taken place Where the rich man was in agony in hell, became an evangelist immediately and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. If he rises from the dead, my brothers are going to believe and no one come here and suffer this torment with me. And Abraham said, son, if they don't believe the prophets, the law and the prophets, if they don't believe the Old Testament, if they don't believe the Bible, even if Lazarus is raised from the dead, they're not going to believe it. So when Elijah went up to pray, he was praying specifically. Make note here, specific prayer. Some alert person, if you already have read the passage and, and you're kind of on the ball, you would say, well, wait a minute, Michael, wait a minute. There's no prayer recorded in this passage. <laughs> well, you're right. If you caught that one, you're exactly right. There's no prayer recorded here in First Kings 18. But 800 years later, James tells us, Remember, the Holy Spirit is the author of the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same author, different writers, same author. James tells us, 800 years later, 517, he said, tells us what the prayer was. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly and that it would not rain, and it did not rain and for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced rain. It's crop. Question. Well, what do you think he was praying for on top of that mountain after the miracle? Do you have any clue? What was he praying for? Rain. Was he saying, oh, Lord, bless everybody? (laughs) Top prayer? No. He was praying specifically. He was saying, Lord, you promised me, you told me that if I stood before Ahab, that if I obey you, that if I meet the condition of the promise, that you will keep your promise. Now, Lord, I've done it. I've done my part. Now it is time for you to do your part. Do you know why prayer is such a burden to a lot of people? Except, of course, when they need something from God, they become great prayer warriors. (laughs) A friend of mine said, you know, if I pray as fervently when everything is going well in my life as I do when... Everything is blowing in my face. He said, I'll be one of the greatest prayer warriors of all times. <laughs> and that's true. But do you know why prayer is such a burden to a lot of people? Do you want to know why? <laughs> it is because of the ambiguity of our prayer. When we don't have a problem praying specifically for a problem or want God to get us out of a problem, the rest of our life is really we kind of very ambiguous in our prayers. God bless Aunt May and Uncle. Joe and mom and dad and, you know, and so, and they're just, amen. Bless everyone in the world, type prayer. Amen. No. I have never, ever read in the Scripture any of the great prayers that God answered were one of those ambiguous things. Well, I think it's uh, one, two, three, well, I hope that you would be good enough, God, to do this, God. No, no, no. Now, you read any of the prayers in the Bible, and you'll see that they're all specific and specific requests. Now, there are some people out of false sense of reverence are so afraid to be specific with God. They don't want to embarrass God in case He doesn't answer the way they prayed. Now, let me put an end to that fallacy. When Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty, when he said that the hairs on your head are counted for, it doesn't mean that he simply knows how many. Of course, he created us, he made us, he knows how many. That's not what he was talking about. He was saying that all of them are numbered. And this morning, when you brushed your hair, God said, number 1,225,000 get caught in that brush, and it caught in the brush. And one hair came out. That's how they not only numbered, but not one of them got caught in the brush this morning as you brushed your hair. Well, some of us have, uh, <laughs> don't have that problem. Um, God bless you. I, uh, I think it's great. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like a friend of mine said, you know, if some people want to waste the hormones on their hair. That's fine. <laughs> But but God does not, that not a single hair in your head that falls out and you're caught in a hairbrush or in a comb this morning that he did not know. Which one? And you know, my wife and I had the joy of experiencing incredible answers to prayer when we came in agreement many times, when we come together in total agreement for what we know is the will of God, when we know it is glorifying to God. When we know it is in obedience to God, we have seen instant answers to prayer in such a way that only God gets the glory. I've seen incredible answers to prayer again and again. And when the answers come, it's always bold, it's clear, it's specific. And Elijah prayed specifically, but he also prayed obediently. He prayed clinging to the promises of God. He prayed kneeling on the promises of God. And Jesus often taught us that it's not the length of prayer. It is not the language of prayer. It is not the posture of prayer. Those are not important to him, but it is the persistence in prayer. And he gives us several examples, several parables. I find preaching on patience and persistence very difficult. Do you know why? Because it convicts me. (laughs) I come under conviction of my own words because persistence and patience are not one of my strong suits. But I seldom give a message on any subject unless I allow it to penetrate deep in my heart. And here in Luke 18, Jesus tells us about a woman who persisted, although it was an ungodly judge that she was asking to vindicate her. And the judge basically answered her request because, Jesus said, of her persistence. And he said, how much more your heavenly Father will give you when you pray in accordance with His will? The Syrophoenician woman who came and sought Jesus on behalf of her daughter, she stayed there until Jesus answered her prayer. Now, I don't understand everything about what is said about persistence in prayer. But everywhere in the Scripture where you encounter biblical teaching about it, it says there is something about persistence that somehow belongs together to the promise of God. Condition of the promise and claiming of the promise. And you put those together. You meet the condition, you persist in claiming the promise. God will keep His promise. Now, I'm not talking, of course, about personal desires, you know, God give me this or give me that. I am talking about prayers that are designed and in the very depth of its meaning, seeking the glory of God. In verse 43, Elijah sent his servant to look for clouds. Those of you who have read ahead of time, do you know how many times he sent his servant back? Seven times. Do you think he kind of got discouraged at some point? I'm sure he did. He sent him out the first time, <laughs> and he came back and said, mm, "Not a cloud," because he was sending him over to look over the Mediterranean on that mountain. And by the way, I had the joy of standing there where on Mount Carmel. It's an incredible sight on top of that mountain, where you know he's he's on this side, and he would send his servant to go and look over the Mediterranean, see because it was where the clouds were coming from. And he comes back and said, "No, no, <laughs> nothing." He came second time. Oh, sorry. Another cloud in the sky. Fourth time, nothing. And it was probably Elijah thought, gosh, did I misunderstand God? And the temptation is to to wonder if if he really got that right. Did he misheard God? Uh, It was something about, did I meet the condition right? And there's no doubt as a human being. And James told us that he was just like us. Fifth time, probably by that time, he began to doubt God. And began to doubt that God is going to answer. Then the sixth time, and probably by that time, he was... Getting angry with God and saying, God, what are you doing? But then he persisted in prayer. He persisted. And the seventh time, prayed specifically. He prayed obediently. He prayed clinging to the promises of God. He prayed expectantly. He believed with all his heart that God was going to keep his word. And that's why he kept on sending his servant until that seventh time. And when the servant came to say that he saw a cloud as a small as a, a man's hand, Elijah started handing umbrellas. He said, that's good enough for me. Expectancy in prayer. If you really examine this passage closely, and I hope you do when you're alone with God in your time of devotion, you'll notice that Elijah would have been surprised if God had not answered his prayer. I think most of us are surprised when God does answer our prayers, he would have been surprised had God not answered his prayer. And that is why 2,800 years later, here we are sitting in this beautiful auditorium reading about Elijah. Why? Because he persisted in prayer. He was not surprised at God's answer. Finally, when God fulfilled his promise to Elijah, he did not become haughty or proud He didn't say, hey, boys, look at me, look what I've done. No, no. He was humble before the Lord. He continued to be humble. In fact, Spurgeon used to say there are three dangerous times in one's life. Immediately before a great blessing, and immediately after a great blessing. And then during the great blessing. But you see, you have to be just as dependent on God right after an answer to prayer. Right after God fulfilled His promise. As you were before. There are some Christians who don't know how to handle victories in their life. They really don't. Some Christians don't know how to handle blessings in their life. There are some Christians who try to take credit for God's blessings. There are some Christians who try to put human rationalism on victory and blessing. But listen. You do not have to be a great theologian to know that this is not honoring to God. It's flesh. It's the devil. It's the world. But it's not honoring to God. Elijah, after this great victory, the Bible said he tucked his cloak and he ran before the king. What does that mean? You've got to understand a little bit of Middle East culture here. This is an act of submission. This is an act of humility. Wicked king. He just confronted him. He just defeated him. He just won the battle. He won the victory supernaturally through the power of God, and yet he continued to humble himself because he said he's the king. In, a, in the Middle East, to run before a king is to subordinate yourself to him as a servant. And that's what Elijah was doing. Man, after that great victory, he would have said, hey, Ahab, you're out, I'm in. <laughs> but that's not what he said. I'm sure he would have, would have probably tempted to do it. <laughs> But he didn't. Why? Because Elijah was adamant that everybody must know that this great act was God's act, not his own. Not his own. Let me ask you this as I conclude. What are you doing with the conditional promises of God? Are you refusing to keep the condition? Or have you simply kept the condition but then you gave up in persistent in prayer, in claiming? the promise of God. And I thought of this story that I read many years ago will illustrate what I'm trying to say. There was an Indian chief in Canada by the name of Crawford. He was the head of the Blackfoot Confederacy in southern Alberta in Canada. And uh, the Pacific Railroad Company wanted permission to put the train line right across his land. And um, after he thought about it, he gave them permission to put their line right in the middle of his land. And so in in return, they wanted to know what they can do as a favor in thankfulness, in gratitude to their chief. They said, we know what to do. We're going to give him a free pass anywhere that our train goes. And for life, he can literally go on any train, anytime, anywhere, With that free pass for the rest of his life. And so Crawford took the ticket and basically put it in a leather and he wore it around his neck. But he never rode the train, never got on a train. Tragically, this is the condition of many Christians they have the train ticket, but they never use the train. They hang them on the walls. They believe them intellectually, talking about the promises of God, but they do not know how to appropriate them. Let me put it another way. If you would give me a check, and I'll take the check, and as I'm known to do, I'll put it in my Bible or put it in my pocket and never deposit it. Whose fault is that? My fault. So the first step to appropriate promises of God is to keep the condition of the promise. And the second is to never give up in persistent prayer claiming the promise. So whatever it is in your life that you're dealing with, and I don't know what you're dealing with, what I deal with, I open my heart, shared with you as much as I can. Only you know what you're going through. Only you know what you're dealing with. Only you understand the difficulties and the pain that you are going through. Ask yourself that question. Do I want God to fulfill His promises to me? If the answer is yes, then am I keeping the condition of the promise of God? And if I'm keeping the condition of God, the condition for the promise, am I giving up in persistence in claiming the promise of God? I think if you go through that exercise, if you forgot everything I've said, and you remember those two things, I believe the Lord will honor you, and he he will fulfill his promise because that's who he is. He's a God who cannot lie. He keeps his word. Keep the condition. Persist in claiming the promise. It is my prayer that at this time, God the Holy Spirit is beginning to touch your life somehow, beginning to stir something within you. Maybe for some of you who are into religion and churchianity and God is saying to you, I want you to come to know Jesus, my son. I want you to know that he's the only one who can take you to heaven. I want you to know that there's only one way to me and that's through him. And if you are a believer who've been walking with God and you have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ, it is my prayer that today, as a result of this time, that you say, Lord... I will not fault between two opinions just like the people of Israel did. And one day they were with Baal and one day with Jehovah. And Elijah said to them, It is time to make up your minds. It is time to decide. If Jehovah is God, then worship him and worship him alone. If you think Baal is God, well, just go after Baal and then bear the consequences. So it is my prayer that you will put both feet solidly with Christ.